The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 2 gives us a great word of encouragement. He says, Be no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Now, friends, I, I don't think it's any surprise to you when I tell you that we are living in a world today that is constantly seeking to conform us, to conform us into the image of this fallen world system that we find ourselves in. I, I was thinking about it this morning. I, I get up, and I'm having my cup of coffee, and, and I open up my, my email inbox, and it's just loaded with hundreds and hundreds of just junk email advertisements. And all these advertisements are trying to conform me into being a person who buys a particular product. And then I open my social media feed and I, I start scrolling through my social media feed and I start to think to myself, you know what, every single story that I see here is given to me, fed to me by an algorithm that's telling me what I need to read and the media is promoting a narrative that they want me to embrace and all of this is conforming me. And I think about my kids, you know, and every day when they come home from school and they talk about what they're learning and we look at their homework together and, and, and I realize even my kids in school every single day are being conformed by a secular humanist system that is seeking to mold and shape them into people that are following ways that are antithetical to God's will and God's truth. And this is all around us in all areas of society, this pressure to, to be conformed. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed, but rather be transformed. And how do we experience this transformation? Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And friends, we renew our mind by being rooted and grounded in the truths of God's word, God's inspired revelation to us. The Bible is God's way of providing this transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we study God's revealed truth, God illuminates that truth and impresses upon our heart and it impresses it on our hearts so that we can be the kind of people who walk in fidelity to Him and increasingly grow in Christ likeness. Listen to what Paul says about this scripture that God has given us, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. That, that's the Holy Spirit inspiring God's word. It's breathed out through those human authors who wrote it down for us, but it was the Holy Spirit inspiring them. And this word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man and women, this includes you women, the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, this is God's will for us. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? We do that by saturating our hearts with the truth of God's inspired word. This is our guide. This is our help. This is our hope for life, the word of God. And this is why we devote every Sunday morning together here at Lakes Free Church to the study of God's word. 
And it's not just Sunday morning, friends, that we should be studying God's word. We should be studying God's word throughout the week, individually, uh, in our own quiet time. We should be studying God's word as family, in devotions with our children. We should be studying God's word in, in our small groups and Bible studies throughout the week, right? All of this helps to transform us, not to conform us into the pattern of this world, but be transformed into the kinds of people that God desires us to be. We want to be people who are shaped by the truth. Now, again, this is why we spend so much time studying God's word together here on Sunday morning at Lakes Free Church, so that we can be transformed by the truth of God's word. This year, specifically, we have been spending time in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, given by our Lord and Savior Jesus, found in Matthew chapter five verses, uh, uh, Matthew chapters five through seven. And here we have these incredible teachings from the Lord. We're spending this this entire year together going through this Sermon on the Mount. Why? So that we can be transformed into the kinds of men and women that God desires. For for us to be. And so we humble ourselves before our Lord's teaching. Now, if you're new to Lakes Free Church here in recent weeks, maybe you've just started visiting recently, uh, we took a few weeks off during the Christmas season and during New Year's last week, Pastor Rick gave a great message for us, but, but we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount today. And, and I want to just provide a little bit of review for us just to remind you of everything that we've looked at so far up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at, first and foremost, verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes, those, those blessed attitudes, those attitudes that, that the believer will be when we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. The blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, right? Jesus conforms us into a particular type of person as we put our hope and trust in him we, we then saw in verses 13 through 16 the the kind of people we are but also what we do as Jesus people right so we're Jesus people who live out these beatitudes but we're also Jesus people who go out into this world and we live as salt and light we make an impact on the world by living transformed lives as Jesus people and then we saw in verses 17 through 20 our relationship to the law as Jesus people, okay? And specifically who Jesus is as the fulfillment of the law. And so Jesus came and he shared with us that not only did he fulfill the law in his coming, but he fulfills the law in the sense that he is the ultimate arbiter of God's law. So, so if we want to know the truth, if we want to know what it looks to like to walk in the will of God, we look to Jesus first and foremost. He is the word in flesh who reveals God's will, the heart of the law to us. And then we've come to this section which we find ourselves in today, which is known as the six antitheses. And here, Jesus talks about the heart of the law for us as Jesus people. And he compares the heart of the law, the six antitheses are Jesus compares what the Pharisees had been wrongfully teaching about the law, the Jewish religious authorities. He compares what they had been teaching about the law to what God's true intent for the law actually was. That's why it's called these six antitheses. And these six antitheses all have to do with not only our relationship to the law, but especially our relationship to other people. 
And so we've seen so far two of these antitheses. Jesus talked about first and foremost in verses 21 and 22. He says, look it, if you harbor hatred in your heart towards another person, okay, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder. But Jesus says, but I say to you, if you have hatred in your heart, it's just the same thing. It's like you've already committed murder in your heart. So again, the Pharisees were saying, hey, we're good to go. We've never murdered anybody. But Jesus takes them back to the heart of the law, and he says, no, no, no. If you've even had hatred in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And then Jesus goes on to the next antithesis, the second antithesis, and, and he says, you have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. And that's absolutely true. But then Jesus takes us to the heart of that law. And he says, look it, not just physically committing adultery, but the heart of the law is that if you even look at another person with lust in your heart, you are guilty of adultery in God's eyes. Okay? So again, he's revealing the heart of the law to us. And, and the bottom line in these reminders is really to show us just how desperately we need Jesus. Friends, do you realize the implications of that? If I'm a murderer, if I'm an adulterer at heart, my only hope is Jesus. I have to run to the Father in his amazing grace. I have to fall back on Jesus Christ as my hope for salvation because we're all guilty. I'm guilty of these things. You're guilty of these things. And again, Jesus' whole point in this sermon has been to drive us back to him and recognize our desperate need for him. Now this morning... We're going to move into this third antithesis. And here again, Jesus is going to reveal another area in our relationships where we so desperately need him. And that is in our marriages. And friends, to highlight just how desperately we need him in our marriages, Jesus is going to raise a topic that has ravaged humanity for millennia. The sad and painful reality of divorce. It's very interesting when you think about the reality of divorce today. Almost 50% of marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. This is an issue that we need to talk about. This is an issue that we need God's word to guide us on. The United States has the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. Every 42 seconds, there is one divorce in America. That equates to 86 divorces per hour, 2,046 divorces per day, 14,364 divorces per week, and 746,971 divorces a year. And that's just in our country. One Christian marriage scholar I was reading this week estimates that 80% of evangelical churchgoers have been personally impacted by divorce. I personally think that number is probably a lot higher. I'm not going to ask us to do this, but if I were to ask, you know, show of hands this morning, how many of you have been personally impacted by divorce? Maybe you yourself have experienced it, or maybe somebody in your family has experienced it. I bet you every hand in this room would go up. Because we know the reality of this issue in our world today. Divorce lawyer and mediator Mary Banham Hall has dealt with over 3,000 troubled marriages over her career. From her experience, she concludes, I quote, Divorce is worse than death. There's no question. Why? People generally don't choose death. 
Sadly, divorce often takes its greatest toll on the children of divorced parents. Reflecting on the divorce of her parents, one young girl wrote the following poem titled, The Monster. The monster's here. The monster's there. The monster is everywhere. In my milk, in my tea, doesn't it ever think of me? Mom's here, dad's there, and I'm just not anywhere. How can I say this without any force? The monster is called divorce. Friends, it's undeniable that divorce is a serious issue in our culture today. And it's an issue with heartbreaking consequences. And this is all the more reason why we need to look to God's word to guide us on the issue of marriage. We need to trust God's leading in this area to mold us, to transform us, to shape our hearts in regard to marriage. Now, this is an incredibly difficult topic for any pastor to preach on. It's difficult because, number one, I know so many of you have been impacted by this issue. And you know how much I love you guys. And I know that I can't avoid saying things today that are going to cause hurt. It's just the reality. This is an emotional issue. This is an issue that many of us have been scarred by and wounded by and hurt by. I am not interested, and neither is Jesus or anywhere else in Scripture interested in using this topic as a club to beat you up. That's not what this is about. This is about allowing God's truth to shape us. And I pray that we can receive what God shares with us today with a spirit of humility. And know that I come to preach on this issue with a spirit of grace and compassion. But I want to speak it truthfully and faithfully according to God's word. And so that's going to be our goal this morning. It's also a difficult topic to preach on because the reality is, is I can't say everything there is to say on this issue in, in 30 minutes. And so we're going to do our best to speak to the truths of God's word, but I know there's going to be questions. And we can help address those questions later. There's going to be all kinds of, the, well, what about this and what about that? We're not going to have time to address all of those this morning. But we are going to hit to the heart of God's will for our lives in regards to marriage. To help us do that, we're going to look here at this third antithesis in the Sermon on the Mount. But more than that, we're going to then jump ahead in the book of Matthew to another section where Jesus expounds on this very same topic in greater detail. All right? So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. But then we're going to jump ahead to Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, where Jesus deals with the very same issue, but he expounds on it more fully to help broaden our understanding of what he's getting at. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, what exactly is that all about? Well, let's jump ahead to Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen, Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, a later discussion with the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, Jesus hits on this very same issue. 
And the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. All right, now these are the the teachings of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Word become flesh. And now I want to try to spend some time unpacking these two passages for us this morning. But, but what I really hope to show you this morning is that here in the Lord's teaching, okay, and, and, and along with some other passages of Scripture that we're going to look at, what we're going to see is that God reveals for us five important truths about marriage. Five important truths about marriage here in this passage and a couple other supplemental passages I want to highlight for us today that help explain this. What are these five truths? Well, the first truth that we need to recognize is the creator's plan. Friends, we can't understand marriage unless we first go back to the beginning, okay? And by the beginning, I mean literally go back to the beginning to the creation account, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God reveals his creation plan for marriage, Okay? Jesus himself highlights this creation plan for us in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, which we just read. Jesus takes the Pharisees, he points them back to Genesis 1 and 2, and Jesus says to them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus begins his teaching on marriage by pointing them back to God's creation norm, God's plan for marriage. And what was God's plan in the beginning as our creator God? It was one man and one woman joined together for life. Joined together for life. That's very interesting, this word, when when Jesus says a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That word hold fast in the Greek literally means to be glued or cemented together. Friends, why is divorce so painful? It's painful because it's the rupturing of something that God intended to be permanent. God says, let man not separate this. One man and one woman together for life. This was God's creation pattern, his creation norm, given to us in the teaching of creation, the creation account. Why does this creation account matter? It matters, friends, because we are not accidents evolved out of slimy algae. We are the creation of a creator God, a designer He designed us. He has plans for us. He has a will for us. And as our designer, he also knows what's best for us. 
And so we need to look to his will for marriage. We need to trust his will for marriage. And we need to humble ourselves in obedience to God's will for marriage. But this then takes us to to truth number two in terms of God's will for marriage. And this leads to sin's pollution. We need to understand sin's pollution. Uh, A few weeks ago, I I was in in Hawaii, and on my way to Hawaii, we had a layover in in L.A., LAX. I've spent a lot of time in L.A. I have family from that area. My dad grew up in that area. Back when I was in college, I worked at a camp just outside of L.A. I've been to L.A. many times. Every time I go to L.A., I'm always blown away what a beautiful place it is. I mean, it's just gorgeous. You got the oceans. You got, you know, Santa Monica Pier. You got the mountains in Hollywood. and I mean, it's just this beautiful area when you can see it. Because L.A., the vast majority of the year, is covered in a fog. And and I remember I'm staring out the big windows at the terminal at LAX, and I'm looking out at the mountains, these beautiful mountains that surround L.A., and I think to myself, man, what was this place like 50 years ago? I mean, back when my dad grew up here, this must have just been gorgeous, beautiful. These incredible mountains, you know, nestled in between the ocean and the mountains, and you have this beautiful scenery all around you. But today it's covered in smog and pollution. And friends, this is exactly what sin does to marriage. When we rebel against God's will for marriage, what we're doing is polluting and obscuring this institution that God created to be beautiful for our blessing and for his glory. We, we see this today in a whole host of ways in our world. Things like premarital sex, cohabitation, gay marriage, polygamy, spousal abuse, neglect, adultery, unbiblical divorce. All of these cloud the beauty of marriage. And, and just like the mountains outside of Los Angeles, the institution of marriage, it's still there for the world to see, but our sin diminishes its magnificence. That's what sin does. And when it comes to divorce specifically, Jesus says in our passage this morning in Matthew 19.8 that divorce was never a part of God's original plan from the beginning. He says there in verse 8, it was not so from the beginning. But he tells us that God would ultimately make an allowance for it. Why? Because the hardness of our hearts. Because of our sin. That's what that means, the hardness of our hearts. God would make an allowance for divorce because of our hard hearts, because of our sin. But again, he says it was not so from the beginning. Now, what is this allowance that God made? Let's take a look at this as this really gets us into the heart of our two passages this morning. This leads us to truth number three this morning, the law's provision. The law's provision. Now, let's read again Matthew 19, 3 through 9. Because, again, this is really the heart of what this passage is all about and what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is all about. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, have you not heard that in the beginning he made the male and female? He gives them, again, the creation account. And then in verse 6, he says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then the Pharisees say to Jesus, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now what exactly is going on here in this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees? 
What, what is Jesus talking about in that third antithesis in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, to understand this, you need to understand that back in the Old Testament law, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, God had made a provision for divorce in the law of Moses. Okay, Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And there, in that passage, we discover that God, again, because of the hardness of our hearts, because of our sin, God had allowed for divorce in one particular situation. Cases where husbands discovered some indecency in their wife. Or it could have been vice versa, if a wife had discovered some indecency in her husband. Okay, it went both ways. Both genders were included, all right? Now, the question that scholars wrestle with is what does that mean? What does that mean, indecency? In the Hebrew, the word indecency literally means exposing of the genitals, okay? So in other words, God had made an allowance for divorce in cases where a husband discovered or a wife discovered that their spouse had wrongfully exposed their genitals. Now you think, well, what does that mean, right? We don't know for sure. But what we know clearly is that obviously this was some kind of grievous sexual sin that had taken place. Okay, to, to expose one's genitals, whether out in public or to another person, right? Something grievously sinful had taken place. And in these situations, God allows for divorce. And we can certainly understand that, right? Like your spouse commits some kind of grievous sexual sin. And God in this situation allows for divorce and then ultimately remarriage. But here's what's happening in our two passages today from the book of Matthew. By the time Jesus comes around, some 1,400 years later, after God had given this provision in the law of Moses, what had happened was is that the majority of the Jews had liberalized God's law and had begun to interpret indecency to really apply to essentially anything about a wife that was displeasing to the husband. Okay, so the majority of Jews in Jesus' day were basically divorcing their wives for any reason they wanted to. And they were claiming it was indecency. So, so my wife burnt my dinner the other night. Indecency. My wife spoke bad about my mom. Indecency. Okay? I, 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 my wife doesn't agree with me anymore. Indecency. My wife's not as pretty as she used to be. Indecency. Right? A man could basically claim indecency for any reason and legally divorce his wife as long as he gave her a certificate of divorce. This was what was taking place. This was essentially uh, uh, parallel to what we would have today with our no-fault divorce laws. You don't have to have any specific reason. You can just get divorced for any reason you want. And this was what Jesus was dealing with with the Pharisees. And so Jesus here in our passages from Matthew this morning, what he's doing is he's actually bringing the Jewish people and specifically the Pharisees back into conformity with God's original intent for the law. And Jesus says here, not only is it not permissible to divorce your wife for any reason, but there's really only one reason when it is permissible, and that's for sexual immorality. We see that here in verse 9 of Matthew 19. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now what is sexual immorality? In the Greek, that word is pornea. 
That might sound familiar to you. It's where we get our English word pornography from. And pornea in the Greek refers to really any illicit sexual activity outside of God's plan for marriage. Okay, so anything other than one man, one woman coming together for life as one flesh, anything else is out of bounds according to God. It's pornea. So this would include adultery. This would include incest. This would include bestiality. This would include homosexuality. This would include any kind of sexual activity outside of God's creation norm for marriage. And Jesus says this is sexual immorality, which again is grounds for divorce and remarriage. So what Jesus is doing here, again, is he's reaffirming God's will for marriage, but he is also clarifying how this applies in light of these liberalized laws that the Pharisees and the majority of the Jewish people had embraced. Now, some of you know your Bibles this morning, and some of you know that there's actually one other provision in Scripture that God makes for divorce, and that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. We're not going to spend a lot of time going into this passage this morning, but, but there, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there Paul reveals that God allows divorce for another reason, in cases of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. So if you're a Christian and you've married a non-Christian, and that non-Christian no longer wants to live with you and they leave you, God says you are permitted in those cases of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. You're permitted in those cases to divorce and remarry. All right? Now, to summarize what we've looked at so far, okay? Number one, God's original plan for marriage was one man and one woman committed to one another for life. Number two, sin has distorted God's plan for marriage in a variety of ways, including divorce. And then thirdly, God has made two provisions for divorce in cases of sexual immorality or in situations of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And in both of those situations, God says divorce and remarriage are permissible. But now this leads me to an important point for us to recognize this morning. And that's truth number four, God's priority. God's priority. Friends, while God has made allowances for divorce, it's important that we acknowledge that in these allowances, God has permitted divorce, not commanded divorce. Okay, that's an important recognition. God has permitted divorce, but he has not commanded it or required it. In fact, the reality is there is nothing in the Bible that mandates divorce. Divorce is never God's first or preferred option for struggling, troubled, or broken marriages. What is God's priority for such marriages? God's primary desire is always for healing, reconciliation, and restoration. Look at what the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate for her, from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, friends, please understand, okay? I understand this. In our fallen world, reconciliation won't always take place. And these situations are always sad and extremely difficult. 
But this doesn't change the fact that God's priority for troubled marriages is always the pursuit of reconciliation. See, all throughout Scripture, we find that God is a God of restoration. He's a God who delights in putting broken lives back together. And through the power of the gospel, God can even restore fractured marriages and broken homes. In my 25 years of ministry, I have seen countless examples of this kind of restoration through the power of the gospel and people who are committed to fighting for their marriages. I've seen God bring healings in situations of adultery and of affairs and abandonment and neglect. We have people even in our own church who have experienced tremendous difficulties even situations of adultery and affairs who have been reconciled by the power of Jesus and God's grace and are now living in healthy, happy, beautiful marriages. God's priority is always reconciliation. He's a God of restoration. Now what about those of you here this morning who might be in challenging marital situations today? I want to encourage you to hold fast to three promises of God for you. Okay, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Isaiah 40, 31, wait on the Lord and let him renew your strength. Isaiah, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Friends, God is faithful even in the hardest of circumstances. And if you find yourself in a troubled marriage today or maybe you're living today in a state of separation from your spouse, I I can't promise you, friends, that reconciliation will always happen. But I can promise you that God is faithful and he never abandons those who walk in faith, trusting in his perfect will for their lives. Now, lastly, this morning, we can't leave this challenging topic without a reminder of the hope that we have in God's amazing grace. And this leads me to truth number five this morning, the gospel's pardon. Friends, there are many in this room today whose lives have been impacted by divorce. Some chose that path in rebellion against God. And some were victims of another person's rebellion. But in every case, the hurt is real. And the damage is lasting. And the pain lingers. Divorce is devastating precisely because it is the breaking of God's will for our marriages. And none of us can go back and change the past. I'm sure there are many here who would do things differently in their marriage if they could. But we can't. All we can do is live in the now and be faithful in our present circumstances. God's word tells us that divorce on unbiblical grounds is sin. It tells us that remarriage for reasons other than grievous sexual immorality or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse is sin. But God's word also tells us that he is a gracious and compassionate God who quickly and completely forgives all who turn to him in repentance. My favorite verse, that's hard to say that. I got a lot of favorite verses. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful promise, friends? I can't tell you how many times I've fallen back on that promise. 
We have a God who is gracious and merciful and compassionate towards sinful people. Friends, God's grace is available to every one of us here this morning, no matter your sins. And you too, just like hundreds of us here today, can know the blessing of having your transgressions forgiven and your iniquities forgotten. This is all possible because of the grace of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who paid the penalty, who sets us on a path of new life, restoration, reconciliation, and hope for the future. Maybe you're here this morning and you've sinned against God and a former spouse. God's grace is for you. Maybe you're sinning in regards to your marriage today. God's grace is for you too. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You can turn to him and experience that forgiveness today. This leads me to one last word of encouragement. What is God's call for those of us here today who are married? No matter the circumstances, maybe you're in your first marriage, maybe in your second marriage, maybe your spouse died and you've been remarried. No matter the circumstances of your marriage, I want to leave you with these words from New Testament scholar Danny Aiken. He says, Christians must do the right thing now, today and tomorrow, before God and in relation to their current spouses. Be a faithful spouse today and in the future until separated by death. Commit daily to lifelong faithfulness and fidelity. Model today the difference the gospel makes in a marriage. Do not excuse your past sin and failures. Acknowledge them, confess them, repent of them, and then move forward in the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God, doing the right thing to all. Friends, marriage is not always easy, but by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience wholeness, fulfillment, and joy as we seek to honor Christ in our marriages. And he is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. You've given us your word on this issue that has impacted so many of us. And while your truth, Lord, is sometimes not always easy for us to embrace, we know it's good for us. We know you're our creator, our heavenly Father who loves us, who has a perfect will and plan for us. And Lord, I pray that we would receive your word with humility and walk in faithfulness to it. Lord, and for those here who have been touched by divorce, maybe because of their sin or maybe the sin of another, God, I just pray that you would be close to them today and that they would experience your love and compassion and that they would run to you, Jesus, our hope, the one who forgives all of our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness and sets us on a path that leads to life and life abundant. God, for those who are struggling in their marriages today, I pray for help. I pray for healing. I pray for reconciliation. And I pray, Lord, that as they wait on you, that you would renew their strength and that you would bring restoration even in these difficult circumstances. God, for those of us who have friends and family in these situations, Lord, help us to love them with the love of Jesus. Help them to show, help them to see your grace and compassion through us as we surround them and support them and encourage them. 
God, let us be a church that speaks truth but loves fiercely in the grace of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.